Well, another close game, another loss for the Colts, guys. It was a big game, big game. But before we get into all that, guys, thank you for tuning in for the Blue Stable podcast, the official Colts podcast of Fan Sided. We are lucky and glad to have you join this show. Now, joined by me as always, Rashad McGinnis, man. Uh, didn't have you on last week because you were taking care of some uh, some daddy stuff, some husband stuff, holding down, holding the fort down, man. Uh, how, how was your week? How was your Thanksgiving? Uh, <laughs> my Thanksgiving tasted a lot better when I thought a dub was coming on Sunday. But since we beat the Bills uh, last week, you know, I, I'm not too upset about what occurred Sunday. You know, we got to clean some things up. But I am encouraged by some of the things I saw. We're going to get into that later. But all in all, man, it was good to see some family. It was good to eat good. You know, we was just talking about food, right? Oh, Complete yeah. transparency. We was just talking about food. Mike has me really hungry right now. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, hey, that's man. how I'm feeling right now. Look, <laughs> there were three embarrassing, pathetic football games on Thanksgiving. But what, oh, got, what got me through it? Oh, my Lord, man. My, my, my freaking mother-in-law's mac and cheese is the greatest oh, yeah. It, oh, yeah. it, oh man that's all i had screw the turkey screw the green bean casserole the turn of green <laughs> screw all that man i just had mac and cheese that's what i do good man. mac and cheese you appreciate it when you get dude it, man. man her her mac and cheese is the greatest i've ever had it is the greatest really? i've ever had man greatest i mean it, it it's good she makes it with butter and everything the perfect sample size it delicious taste everything man but this is not the blue stable kitchen podcast guys <laughs> this is the blue stable <laughs> podcast all right and there was a huge game yesterday between the indianapolis colts and the tampa bay buccaneers now mm, man rashad talk to me man what uh <laughs> what were your feelings about yesterday's game um, frustration, man. Frustration. First excitement at how the game started. And then as the game was going along, I was like, man, we've seen this movie before. You know, I tweeted at halftime. Uh, that was probably the best quarter we played this season. And then I, I said, but let's not get ahead of ourselves, guys. We saw this movie, you know, and sure enough, man, the thing I was fearing the most, it happened. But like I said, I was very encouraged by some things I seen. Yes, the loss was tough. I had to get off Twitter because Coach Twitter was in spring shambles yesterday. And I was at work today, and as I peeked in on it, it looked like it still was in shambles. You probably could speak more to it if you was on today. But it looked like it was still a, a, a shit show on there as I looked and I glanced. So I, I got off again for a good little while to kind of get my mind a rest before the show. Yeah, man. Honestly, I think for like the rest of the season, I'm probably going to like, you know, stay away from Twitter after him. I mean, even yesterday and today going back and forth with a, a couple people, uh, a couple of our fans and everything they like to tune in. And thank you, uh, by the way, for, for tuning in. I mean, you know, talking about the game, talking about football, you know, not, not everybody and not, not even me. I mean, I'm not some like know it all about football or anything. If I was, I'd be pursuing a career path in coaching but obviously not because we're gonna go 0-16 um <laughs> I mean having a understanding of the game of football helps and I, I think it is clear some people do lack that some people do have that knowledge of football and they know what they're talking about mm-hmm. it, it, when people want to criticize Frank Reich they make great points they do make great points but I think they point that anger too much at Frank Reich 
You know what I mean? I mean, if Carson Wentz throws the worst pass in all of NFL history, they're going to blame Frank Reich for why he didn't run the ball in that play. Like, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, that's literally, You're right about that. That's literally how it goes. So, I, I mean, guys, I think what we don't realize is that we can hold players accountable too. You know that, right? Like we, we can do that too. Not everything is Frank Reich's fault. Not everything. Can't do that, Mike. <laughs> nah, man, you, you have to, you got to bring some transparency. You got to bring some context and just be overall fair. That, that's just what you have to do. Uh, but getting into the good, the bad, the ugly of this game, guys, we're going to, we're going to jump into the good, man. It's hard to talk about the good after yesterday but getting into the good today we're gonna start with Carson Wentz man he he was dealing yes dealing yesterday I mean what the second quarter was probably his best quarter of football this entire year Uh, against that defense in this game he delivered I mean you especially that wheel route by Jack Doyle to hit him perfectly in stride and that there was a window that was closing between the safety and the corner closing in or I think it was a linebacker covering him on that wheel route and that window was about to close he hit him perfectly in stride you know running for it I believe it was on our last touchdown or no not the last touchdown uh we ran the ball that hole but it was a pivotal pivotal drive it was like what third and 14 or so and he runs for it outruns Ndamukong Sue gets the first down Carson Wentz played great yesterday he played great yesterday It, it is it's you cannot put this loss on Carson Wentz whatsoever. You really can't. Um, I mean, the the poise, the precision, the accuracy, I loved it. And, and I like the game plan going forward. You know, we'll get into that here in a little bit. But, man, Carson Wentz definitely, definitely had a really, really good showing yesterday. Oh, yeah, man. Carson Wentz, I'm extremely pleased with the way he played. Uh, I knew one day – or one of these games, we're going to have to win a game like this or just prove we can at least go at it with a team like this. And I think for us to be in there punch for punch with one of the the deepest, com- most complete rosters in the NFL from top to bottom, I think it, it, it's a statement. It was a statement game for Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz showed that when he's playing well, this team can compete with anybody in the NFL. We were right there. We've been right there with a bunch of elite teams. Uh, we we didn't close out some, but we we closed out one last week. So that's promising to see. Carson Wentz, I, I believe he was 27 for 40, 43 or 44, I believe, over 300 yards, three touchdowns. I'm going to say one intercept. I know it was two intercepts, but one of them was on a Hail Mary. Um, I'm not mad at that at all. And the on, only intercept of the game that I that – I will acknowledge was a jump ball to Michael Pittman with a 5'10 Antoine Winfield on him. I'm um, sure we'll get into that later, but um, that's a ball you got to throw, you know, in that situation, one-on-one, give your guy a chance. You got a stud receiver. He's lined up with a safety, a smaller safety at that. You have to take that shot. I'm not mad at Carson for throwing that. Uh, he just played, he played great, man. He played phenomenal in my opinion. The, uh, the strike that Ashton Doolin, he hit Ashton Doolin in stride on, on a pass that had to travel at least about 50 yards in the air. It was a 62-yard total, but at least 50 of those was air yards, dropped it in a bread basket. Uh, Carson Wentz was playing out of his mind, and, and 
I didn't see that coming, but I he needed a performance like that to kind of solidify himself as the guy. I know next week, officially, statistically, uh, the first round pick will get sent over to uh, the the Philadelphia Eagles. He will cross the 75% threshold in the middle of next week's game. And I have no problem. I won't lose a bit of sleep at night after seeing what Carson has done so far for the Indianapolis Colts in his first season as a starter. And when you think long-term, I mean, giving up only a first and a third, that is highway robbery for a quarterback in his prime. That is highway robbery. Deshaun Watson, if he ever gets traded, that's about to be what? Four first-round picks, two starters. We didn't have to give up anybody. We gave up a third-rounder. Who, who who did the Eagles take with that third rounder? Do you, do you know? I don't. I can't remember. I, I can't think of it off, off the top of my head. But the first rounder, I mean, who, who are the? I'm pretty sure it's going to be a good player. There's a good batch of defensive players in this uh, in this year's draft, and uh, you know we'll, we'll see what happens there. But and passing up in the contract and a contract. A cheap contract. That is that is highway robbery. Chris That's Ballard. Robbery. Chris Ballard. Like you go. say, they're, they're, they're trading four, four first-rounders for Deshaun Watson and paying him $40 million per yes. year at that. So, yes. So that, it's a win, man. It is, it's it a is no-brainer. It's a huge yeah, win. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. It's a huge win. If he can – if Carson Wentz can win a couple of Super Bowls at Indy, that will probably be one of the greatest trades of this generation. It, it will. It, it will be. If, if that's possible, even if he gets one, it's going to be a, probably a top oh, 10 definitely. trade. It, when you look Always. at the pure value of it, because we got DeForest Buckland for a first round. Nobody's complaining. Yes, nope. Now we're getting a potential quarterback that, and Carson Wentz's numbers is going to be really, really good at the end of the season, man. They Just are. To, yeah. He, it's a fine trade. I have no problem at all like with this deal philly's probably kicking itself especially after the performance jalen hurt put put on yesterday um i don't think they have their guy of the future that's another podcast for another day i think they're <laughs> going to be i think they're going to be in the quarterback market again this offseason yeah yeah um and get, continuing here with the good guys on the blue sable podcast we're, we're going to get into jack doyle man he, the the game of his life the game of his life six receptions 81 yards and a touchdown i mean what was it i think three of his catches were first downs no four of his catches were first downs can you imagine that man yeah four it was four four four. catches i can actually remember them for first downs that is crazy yeah if you count the teddy if you count the teddy if you count the touchdown yes yeah i mean what can you say, man? I, I've said old, old for faithful, a while, man. I've said for a while, man, you need more out of this tight end group. And at, at this point, man, whatever pass down snaps you're going to give to Molly Cox, man, I, I, I'm done. Give them to Kylan Granson. I, I want to, I'm ready to move off. Well, that didn't train. look bad. He didn't look bad. And, um, in, in limited action yesterday, limited snaps, Granson looked pretty good. He looked, I, I he looked pretty good. I see some upside for him. Definitely. He at least knows what he's doing. That's that. That's the good part about it. He's not going to get ran off his route by a 180 pound corner. That that's not going to happen. Um, and we got killed, bro. This offseason we was oh, uncovering dude. the mystery of Moali Cox and why he's not involved in the offense as people feel like he should be. Yeah, and people killed us. But and I even I even thought it was time. 
I, I thought it was time. Man, f- year five, how much more development does he need? It's time. And he still sits at, what, 220 receiving yards. That's just pathetic. Uh, but, guys, yeah, Jack, back, back to Jack Doyle, man. He did a good, solid job. Reliable hands. Always, always reliable. See, I don't mind keeping Jack Doyle because he's that reliable. But you mm. know that you're not going to get this production weekly. Or Consistently, even, right. Or even bi-weekly. You're, you're consistent. It's not going to come. This is probably going to be his – what, this is probably his best game in two years. I mean, in my opinion, that, that's been – he did a good probably, job blocking as well. Yeah, probably. Um, we'll, we'll have to go back and uh, look at it, but – Man, what was your uh, uh, session of Jack Doyle? Um, to hit on your point, and I think uh, you talk about this all the time. You you want this kind of production frequently out your tight end. You know, this is the kind. Of, this is what you always stress stress about. And I notice you you always talk about that when you speak about the offense, saying getting a tight end in here that can do that on a consistent basis. And I remember me and you were big advocates for us getting Zach Ertz. Like we were when people were saying Ertz was old and they didn't know if he can still do it. You know, me and you were saying was two of the people that were really saying how big of a move that would be and what that can do for this offense. Even getting Carson a, a familiar face you know, that could have opened up a lot for this offense. And we see Ertz doing that exact thing with the uh, Arizona Cardinals. But if Jack Doyle, if we could get this kind of production out of our tight end consistently, um, whether it's Jack Doyle, whether it's Mo Cox, whether it's Colin Granson, it would just open up a whole nother element to this offense. And that's what we need to attack more. I think this offense lacks attack in the middle of the field as much as it should be, especially in the short to intermediate game. You know, only time we really hit the middle is when we run a couple of crosses, but our tight ends are nowhere near is involved enough in this offense. And we know that's a big component to Frank Reich's offenses. You know, whenever he's had success, he's had great tight end play. And that's something we just haven't had. We tried different avenues. We brought in Trey Burton last year, thought he could be that guy. And he gave it to us in spurts. But now we're ex- we were excited about Colin Grant in this offseason. It's, it's clear to see he's more of a project. He's going to be slow coming along. Hopefully he hits a gear in a year or two, and, and you got your guy of the future. But I think that's going to be on the short list of needs for this team this offseason to go get a true difference maker at the tight end position, whether it's via the draft or free agency. Uh, I haven't started doing my draft research yet, so I haven't gotten the chance to look at the guys. But I, I plan to dig into some of that because I think that's going to be one of the bigger needs for this team. Because as you can see, uh, if a tight end can consistently do what Jack Doyle did yesterday, that would do wonders for Carson. Oh, I mean, I, 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 you harped on it. We've talked about the tight end position. It really helps this offense kick it into a full other gear and you saw that yesterday even when the wide receivers are struggling you're still moving the ball consistently because you have someone now imagine if you just inserted someone who can do that consistently this offense has a whole other door that you just i mean right now the door the door is halfway open on this offense when you add that tight end it gets full-blown open that's how pivotal it is now when it comes to the draft I've researched a few, but my guy early, man, is Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina. I, I really like his build. Uh, he's going to be a receiver type. He's not going to be a blocker or anything like that. Uh, but being a receiver type, man, 
the man just get Mo out of here, man. Just just get him out of here. I'm so done. So so uh, you completely you off the boat? No, nah, dude, I, I'm off, man. I got on the boat this off season. I got on got on it this season. Hope for the best, but dude, he can't even block anymore either. So uh, he's just he he's cooked, man. Got love. What for has him, happened man. to him as a blocker, man? He was supposed he was a plus blocker, and now it just looks like he's just a body out there. It's he's not- He's just out there running around, man. He's, he's just out there running around. That's really it. Uh, but g- continuing on here with the good, we got to stay on the good, man. Okay. Uh, Frank Reich. <laughs> I know a lot of people are not going to agree with this, but Frank Reich called a masterful game. I loved the game plan going forward. And as the game moved on, you saw what that game plan was. You could even when the turnovers were happening, he stuck with the game plan. Now, Clearly, clearly the second quarter, Jesus, man, when you're executing. Now, once again, notice how, and I was, I was going through Twitter because I'm curious about these things. You go through Twitter during the second quarter, Reich is dealing, Reich is on fire. This offense is going. Then after the game, fire him. I'm so done. I'm, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. Like, guys, once again, it's okay to blame the players here. And I'll continue to get to the players later on, but especially what about today, you know, in his conference call, I loved his explanation. Now I, I don't have it by me. I could play it on my phone into the microphone. It has pretty good sound. I have the iPhone 13, pretty good sound, pretty good speaker, but I'm not sure if I'm going to do that to your guys' ears, but what I love, <laughs> he doubled down. He Double even, down. he even, he even dumb, you know, dumb it down for the people that really don't understand. Okay. Mm-hmm. We talk about, oh, my gosh, you abandoned the rush. I mean, there's two goofballs that act like they understand the game <laughs> over in Twitter. I'm not going to mention them, but two goofballs that have an X's and O's guy in their pocket and they still don't know a look about football. Um, you know, criticizing Frank Wright, how do you not get your MVP involved? He tried to get him involved. He tried throwing him the ball a few times, and clearly that didn't work because Tampa was on their P's and Q's. Um so credit to Tampa. It's okay to credit the defense and criticize. The, it's okay, guys. They Don't, had a game plan. Yeah. So okay. like, like Todd Bowles is a really good. He's a better coordinator <laughs> than he is a head coach. Let's let's remember right. who Todd Bowles right, is. Right. Take out that Jets tenure and remember who he was as a coordinator. Let's let's remember that. Um. So clearly, you saw that. Now, everybody makes a big deal about this 26, 27. What was it? 26, 27 straight dropbacks. Frank Reich, once again today, he mentioned it. Um, about what six or eight of those plays were, you know, designed to go to Jonathan Taylor in an RPO, but they were checked out of it. That's Carson's job. And you're going against these heavy man boxes. And for the people that apparently said that Tampa Bay was playing the pass, no, they weren't. No, there was wasn't. not, there was not one time they were playing the pat the pass. Rashad, I don't know about you but I consistently saw seven or more guys in the box. That, five, that's what da- I saw. five, five down linemen plus Devin white and Levante David. I don't, I'm not too good at math, but five down linemen. Five. Plus Devin white, Levante David. That is seven on five right there. So <laughs> clearly that's not going to happen. What in the first half, he had eight carries for 25 yards. You're averaging 1.7 yards per carry which I tweeted earlier today. Why the hell would Frank go with that? Why would he continue with that? If he continued, you would freaking bash him for not scoring more points and opening up the pass. 
Y'all, I mean, guys, this isn't Madden. This isn't Madden rookie mode that you play every day after school, after college. This isn't that. This is real life grown man football game planning. There is a game plan you come up with, and he had that. Even, even, even go to the second half. That that last two minute drill. I'm not sure if anyone's even noticed this, but when the Colts are in quick two minute drill that they were when they went down, Jonathan Taylor's not a part of that. That's Naheem Hines. So when the media is trying to win the media and because there's a couple of media members out there that throw that stat out as well. And y'all want to feed off of it, but don't want to understand Frank Reich, the RPO system and his game plan, which I mentioned earlier in the show. It's okay. It's okay if you don't know. Hell, I, I'm still learning so much more about football. I mean, I may, I make, I make takes on here, and then I think about go watch, get, get educated. I'm like, oh man, I was wrong on that take earlier on the show. It happens, guys. But understand that in a two minute drill, which the Colts were, where this stat originated from, the Colts don't use Jonathan Taylor. That is more Naheem Hines' role. That's his role. So you, that was like what eight plays. So eight plays out of 26, now you're down to 18. You could just okay, take so, that out. You so could just take, take that out. Right? Yeah. So now we're at 18. Now you have six to eight plays that were supposed to go to Jonathan. Carson checked out of them. So now you're down to 10, nine plays, 10, 12 plays. Which is perfectly okay. fine to take him out which for a drive, which is fine. a drive. A drive exactly. down I'm the not field. trying to make him Derrick Henry and have him 300 carries in four games. I'm That's what the fans that. want. That's what, man, y'all want him to retire by the time he's 26. He ain't going to make it to a second contract. That's what y'all right. wanted to happen. That's what y'all want to happen. I applaud Frank Reich. He doubled down. And think about the, the Buccaneers were clearly hurt. They're clearly hurt. Why are you not attacking that more? And that's exactly what he did. Now, for those of you that, you know, question, well, why couldn't they beat the pass they did beat them in the secondary but guess what even like you said to that interception that jump ball michael Pittman versus antoine winfield antoine winfield wasn't single high safety he was the only single high safety out there but guess what antoine winfield is probably a top three safety in this game already in the second year because he's back there and he's one of the very few safeties in the league that can play single high consistently be mm-hmm. back there alone on an island and defend it so well. You saw it, the redirection, the flipping of the hips, the angle. It was beautiful. I hated it because it was an interception, but I re- re- re-watched it earlier. That was beautiful technique safety football. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. Now, I'll get to Michael Pittman in a minute, but w- what do y'all want him to do now? Of course, you know, we're going to get into the turnovers here in a little bit because I'm sick and tired of this dude. Um, but we're going to get into him in a little bit. Rashad, I, oh, man, I was going, I, I was talking way too much. I, I didn't oh let boy. you get in. But uh, Rashad, you awake? <laughs> Wake up, let Rashad. Stretch. Let me stretch, <laughs> man. And I know people about to hate me, man, so I'm just going to go ahead and stretch before I right, get into right. what I got to say. Um, Frank Wright called the game exactly how he should have called the game. He put this team in position to win uh, due to some turnovers and some costly errors and mistakes we made. We didn't win the game. I'd be damned if play calling is one of the reasons we didn't win this game. We didn't win this game due to lack of Jonathan Taylor touches. I He finished the game with 16 carries, 83 yards. That's about what I expected him to get. Uh, people all week was just hammering this 150, 180, 
200. Listen, <laughs> this Tampa Bay defense was never going to give up 200 yards. 150, buck 25. They were not going to do that. The first play of the game, I don't even know if you remember, was a handoff straight to John DeTel. Vita Vez smacked him at the line of scrimmage. I'd say that's going to be what type of game this is. I think the second drive was also Golston just destroyed. It was Golston as well. He, he destroyed Chris Reed, pushed him back, bullied him, and tackled Jonathan for a three-yard loss. Listen, these buck and, and and they tried some misdirection things outside zone plays. These linebackers are way too fast for that. You're not going to fool these linebackers. The counters, the misdirections, the zones, anything to the outside is getting tracked down by Devin White and Levante David. Like it's just not going to happen. Anything going inside, it's Vita Vea, Goldston, and Dominican Sue. Those guys get after it, man. And Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett are not just pass rushers. Those guys play the run and set the edge well, bro. They're not just a team that you're going to line up and punch in the mouth. They average 78 yards rushing per game for a reason. They're very talented. And for the people that say, I, I seen a stat, they gave up 100 yards in four of the last five games. Vita Vail wasn't there. It's it correlates, you know. If we miss it, we missed the Forest Buckland Grove, uh, not Grover Stewart, the Forest Buckland for one game last year against Derrick Henry. And what did he do to our team? He destroyed us. So that's the impact that Vita Vea has on their defensive line. No, we're not saying it's just one guy, but they work together well as a unit. And that was never going to be the plan. Frank Wright knew we had to throw the ball. We saw the most success on offense throwing the ball. Our best quarter was the second quarter. We scored 21 points in that quarter. Carson Wentz played lights out. And that's also was the quarter that the Jonathan Taylor disappearance that y'all said Pink Wright did. That's the quarter it started in. We was having success, marching up and down the field on Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay didn't have any game plan for that because they never expected us to play that way. Frank Wright was set out to prove that we can win a football game a different type of way, which you have to be able to win multiple ways to beat playoff caliber teams. You're not just going to go into every hostile environment or hostile game with the same game plan as the last week and be able to just line up and punch everybody in the mouth and run it down their throat. So y'all get confused with this run the damn ball slogan and think and take that to your head and think we could just run it on everybody. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Carson Wentz got loose throwing the ball, and the success we saw Jonathan Taylor have in the fourth quarter was due to the fact that that Tampa defense was wore out by then. They had just came off a Monday night game, so they had a short week. They were fatigued when that Jonathan, when Jonathan Taylor started breaking some of those runs and we scored our last touchdown. That was why you had success. But Tampa Bay never strayed away from how they played. Like Mike said, they ran single high safety all game and kept seven in the box and say, if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us by throwing the football, which Carson Wentz almost did, except for a few costly turnovers, four of them to be exact. Like I said, I disregard that interception, that Hail Mary interception. Four turnovers that just cannot happen. And we're going to get to that in a few, uh, the reason why those turnovers occurred. But Frank Reich did everything he could mm -hmm. do to put this team in position to win the game. And, and, and that's all I have to say about that. And, and here's my thing. I mean, <laughs> I don't think people just people just don't understand that they can actually credit a defense. I mean, Todd Bowles prides himself on toughness up front. That is what he tried to do in New York. 
but sometimes I mean, that's why you saw them draft a Leonard Williams. That's why you saw them go after a Quinnen Williams. That's why you saw them. I mean, that's what he wants to do. But I, I really don't see how you can sit there and blame Frank Reich. I mean, people always want to come out here. Colts are yada, undefeated this when Jonathan Taylor goes uh, for 100 yards. Yeah, you know why? Because I went back and looked at that stat. You've beaten one playoff team when Jonathan Taylor goes over 100. Everyone else was fighting for a draft pick. So, yeah. I'll leave it at that. Uh, Rashad, one one last thing about Frank Wright. Yeah, one last thing, and I'm glad you uh, passed it back to me because I always say this all the time, and I know you're probably tired of hearing me say it, but the people need to hear me say it. Y'all are more mad at execution than y'all are at play calling, and y'all don't even know it. Because when he's rolling in the second quarter and he's throwing those passes and it's working, you're not upset. So you're not mad at the play caller. You're mad at the execution. When he's throwing the ball and it doesn't work, now it's we should have ran the damn ball. We should have did this. That's execution, folks. Because if you're mad at the play caller and if you're truly mad at the play caller, when he's throwing it and it's working, you would still be upset. You would say, no, Frank Wright should, throw, should mm-hmm. run the ball some more right now. He yep. should be running the ball. He should be giving the ball to Jonathan Taylor. But you're not because it's working. That mm. means you're not mad at the play caller. You're Tell mad him. at the execution. And if you're mad at the execution, then acknowledge that. But a lot of y'all don't know the difference between being mad at play caller and being mad at execution. And look, I, actually, I also want to credit Frank Wright because it's hard to stick to your game plan in the NFL. You come into a game with a game plan. The game doesn't go how you expect in the first first half, first quarter, and you change it. You have to make adjustments. But Frank Wright, you could easily tell, air it out. And then mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter, waste the clock. Pound it down their throat. And you see that it worked. It now, it we're getting out of the good. Let's get into the bad. I have praised him. I love him. I still love him. He is still the number one guy on this team. But damn it, Michael Pittman, where were you? Where were you? I've been waiting to to hear your explanation for this. Where were you? You you owe me. You you owe us an apology, Mike. The first first target, I think Carson Wentz put the ball in the right place. What happened? Did you slip? You were, were you off balance? Were you, was your head not clearly not in the game? Where were you? Where were you? Then on a third down, you, you, this is it. This is stuff you get taught in high school, Mike. Get your head around, especially when you're running a five-yard route. Turn your head around quickly. Things RPOs, you got to get your head. Got to get your head around on the RPO. They just hits him in his face. In his face. Mike, we're going to you because you are the best in this room, in that group. Absolutely. You set the standard for yourself. You set a high standard for yourself. You're a second-year wide receiver, but, but. When you have performed the way that you have, when you have set the standard that you have, you don't get those excuses. Your head was not in the game, and you clearly saw the Colts wanted to get you going early. The Colts relied on you getting going early, and you weren't there. You did not step up. Where was your head? Was it trying to make another game day vlog? 
Was it trying to do another TikTok? What was it? Where was your head? Because we were trying to get you the ball. Get going. And then wide freaking open right through the palm of your hands. It wasn't fingertips. Maybe, maybe the ball was behind, but it still hit the palm of his hands and he dropped it. Michael Pittman, where were you? Where? Okay, you you stepped up later on. Mm-hmm. But you realize how, how important starts to a game are? And you clearly saw the Colts wanted to start off with you going off. And your head wasn't in the game. As much as I'm going to love you when you perform, I'm going to come down on you twice as hard when you don't. Because that was some pathetic football that I saw from you in the first quarter. That was pathetic. I don't give a damn if you're a second year. I don't get I, I don't care. That was pathetic. You catch those balls all the time. At USC, you caught those balls. You caught them in double teams. You caught I, man, I'm not gonna wait, wait till one, one o'clock in the in the morning for the USC game to end. But when I did watch him, he was mossing everybody. Where were those hands this time, man? Not in this game. In this game, you chose to have that start. In this game, the biggest game, possibly the biggest game of the year, you decided to start off this pathetic. You don't do that. When you're trying to chase greatness, you don't do that. You can do that against the Texans. You can do that against the Dolphins. You can say, fuck them, they suck. I don't care. I'll show up in the second half. Not against the defending champs. Man, he pissed me off yesterday. He plays better than that. He's capable of better than that. And his head wasn't in the game, man. Well done. Well put. I can't echo those sentiments more any more than what you said. But a couple of things I want to say is, Mike, you're a lot better than that, man. Like, you're a lot better than that. And you can see that Frank Wright created this game plan around Michael Pittman. The, the second he decided we got to throw to beat those guys, which he said in his post-game press conference that we had to throw to beat those guys, who do you think he's going to build the game plan around? It's certainly not Jack Doyle. Sure, Jack Doyle showed up big and, and came through for us, but Michael Pittman, this was supposed to be his fall game. He had a chance to dominate. He had a secondary where no one can guard him in. He was the mismatch in this ball game, they had Murphy Bunton on him, a guy that really is a slot cornerback, but had, but but plays outside due to the fact that Carlton Davis is still not here. They had mm-hmm. Pierre Desir, and he's uh, very hit or miss. Yeah, he's hit or miss. As we saw, a uh, uh, Doolin hit Doolin hit him for sixty two uh, early in the game. But Michael Pittman, baby, come on, man! Like I, I'm a diehard USC fan. For most of y'all that don't know, I've seen Michael Pittman make those catches, those same catches. It had to be something, excuse me, going on with him mentally because he makes those catches in his sleep easily. Michael Pittman falls out of bed in the morning and, and can make those catches. Like RPO, RPOs, you know you have to get your head around quick. It has to be within a couple of seconds because if Carson waits any longer on that, it's going to be an offensive lineman downfield because they're, they don't know whether they're run blocking or pass blocking in that situation until after the play has been snapped, after the ball's been snapped. So Mike knows whether in a half a second, if that ball is going to be coming to him, he has to get his head around in that situation. 
Michael Pittman, you you can't slip coming out of your break. That's a possible touchdown, or at least it's a big first down on the drive. Carson came to you early and often. You had 10 targets. You only came out with four of those catches. Like, I expect you to be better than this. You are our alpha dog. We're going to move forward with you being the number one receiver in this offense. You are the future. Hell, you are the present for this team right now. T.Y. Hilton is not getting any younger. And and T.Y. Hilton looks every bit of his age. But it's on to you. You have been passed the baton, Mike. I need you to respond like you was earlier in this season and get back to playing dominating football like we know you can. This has been the biggest stage that you was going to be on this season, and and you didn't respond accordingly. I mean, accordingly. You had a, a, a good game, solid game last week, but that was the Jonathan Taylor game. This was supposed to be the Michael Pittman game, but we never got it. Mm-hmm. And it's just and, – and it speaks to more goodness about Carson Wentz because with his top dog down, not playing well, he was still able to manufacture 300 yards by spreading the ball out to different receivers, which is another notch to Carson Wentz belt. Had Michael Pittman been on his A game, we could have seen Carson throw for 350, maybe 400. And Michael Pittman could have easily had a 100-yard day on this receiving call. Yeah. There's no reason Michael Pittman should not, yeah. not get to 100 yards and have a touchdown against those guys. And look, I mean, let, let's, let's go back to when he got mossed by Antoine Winfield Jr., in real time, yesterday. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. In, in real Take time, it. I thought that was DPI. I went back, and honestly, I don't think it was. I really don't think it was. I think it was just good safety play by, by Antoine Winfield. Maybe did you see the hands in the back? Maybe. But there wasn't enough contact that warranted a DPI. He clearly, you know, didn't extend the arms which is the number one thing refs look for the arm extension when the ball is in the air you didn't do any of that the ball was underthrown, which they typically typically are that's why they call it a jump ball um yeah he was giving Pittman a chance to yeah go he was giving him a chance yeah and Pittman but uh, really I mean that is a really good safety don't get me wrong but no that's not supposed to happen that's not supposed to happen Pittman supposed to dunk on him. Pittman has to dunk. You on are him supposed to. You are literally supposed to just do that with yeah. your hands in your touchdown celebration. He's too small, but you got Moss. That's all I got to say about Michael Pittman, man. I'm gonna stay consistent. I love this guy, but man, when he plays, that that pissed me off yesterday. That performance, freaking pathetic. Um, <sighs> beating a dead horse, man. Moving on here, continuing the bad second half defense. Once again, shows up. Uh, here's another thing, you know, talking with uh, to talking with a few of you guys on, on Twitter today. You know, we've been going back and forth a little bit. A lot of y'all really let that Buffalo game get to your head. Y'all really did. Um, I mentioned with Marcus in our preview show in this game, there's not going to be no heavy wind. There's not going to be no heavy rain, which clearly affected Buffalo. It is going to be dry turf all day and i said that this defense won't give that same performance they gave in buffalo buffalo has no run game so when you got out up early they had no choice but to pass the ball you clearly saw it misfires from josh allen drops by the receivers butterfingers everything you saw it i even said it on the previous show with marcus there's not going to be rain in lucas oil on sunday 
there's not going to be wind in Lucas Oil on Sunday. Y- y'all kind of let that go get to your head a little bit because the biggest red flag, it was a big win. It was a good win, a dominating win. But you still have to go back, analyze the game, and pick up on the crumbs that you see. And the crumbs that I saw in that game, even though Josh Allen misfired on many throws, there were many passes dropped by receivers. Those receivers were still wide open. They were still wide open. That's the crumb that I picked up on. There wasn't anything different that Matt Eberflus did. Now, they did have a good performance, yes. But my man, 41 to 15, if that was dry, it probably would have been 41 to 38. Probably. It it probably would have been. You just go back to it. Stephon Diggs, potential first down, drop. Cole Beasley, potential first down, drop. Dawson Knox, potential first down, drop. Drop. Emmanuel Sanders. You saw it. And the second half defense. Once again, we keep trying to, we keep criticizing Frank Reich. But I just want to understand, Rashad, what, when are we going to talk about this defense consistently giving up 30 points or more in the biggest games of the year? We've had what, three, four biggest games of the year, two games against Tennessee against Buffalo, against Tampa Bay. And you consistently keep giving up so many points. Consistently. Baltimore game, too. Baltimore. And people even talk about, well, you shut down San Francisco. It was pouring rain, flooding rain with a one-legged Jimmy G. Guys, this is not rocket science. This isn't. Stop making this hard. Rashad, I don't, I don't even know what to say anymore, man. I mean, the defense did put up a good fight. Uh, the first three drives of the game, re- re- really good, really solid. Uh, they showed that they were physical. They're going to match Tampa Bay's physicality. But, man, look, I know he was a beast in college and all, but you really let Leonard Fournette go off on you like that? Leonard Fournette isn't, isn't that guy, but you well, made him be that guy. New Orleans native. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. Well, what I'm gonna say about this defense is, since we didn't have any defensive uh list things listed for the good, I'm just gonna go ahead and point out, run through the good real quick, and then I'm gonna tell you my thoughts as a whole. Uh, DeForest Buckner, sir, you had a great game, sir. You played well, and you're injured. We saw you go down with an injury. Went to the sideline, got on a bike jogged in place you got it right you came back out there you performed well sir there is Leonard 15 tackles another turnover another forced fumble another punch you play well sir Isaiah Rogers played pretty well Xavier Rhodes even played pretty well um Rock solid game the drop pick was costly though the drop pick was very costly that could have been a potential pick six. You won't get a pick easier than that. You dropped it against in the, the passing, huh? Against the goat. Against the goat. Yeah. You That's you dream you, you dream of picking that guy off. Just like the, your pick against Aaron Rodgers last year was your signature highlight player of the season. You had one this year. You had it right there. You dropped it. Um, 
that defensive pass interference you had was uh, – what I didn't like about the call was the fact that both of you guys were hand-fighting. But I can tell you, whenever you whenever you grab and you hold the jersey, it's going to get called. I know the receiver had his hand back. He was hand-fighting with you. But you, you can tug gripped. and let go. You yeah, grab you can tug. that mother. You can pull and let go all day. You can pull. Pull. If you're feeling your hands back, you're feeling for what a receiver is. That's that's technique. But when you grab, can't do it. Can't do it. Um, defense. You're not good. You wasn't good yesterday. You were bailed out, dude, in the first couple of drives. Like Mike said, y'all played steady. Uh, Tom Brady was having some miscommunication with yep. his wide receivers. Yep. And, you saw and, it. And yeah, you can see early on. I think they, I think the coach might even confuse Tom Brady a couple of times in, in the coverages and confuse the receivers. Once Tom Brady settled in, Tom Brady was Tom Brady. But the fact that the ball was consistently ran on you guys, supposed to be one, a top five rushing defense in the NFL, and Al Qadim Muhammad was getting destroyed in the run game. Leonard Fournette was running straight at him. They were running the ball straight at him consistently. And it was a lot of poor tackling. We saw poor tackling on Leonard Fournette. We saw poor tackling on Grunk. Grunk had a dominant throwback game against you guys. The Colts have struggled to cover tight ends. Um, that's one negative about this, this, this Matt Eberflus defense. It doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't scheme well for tight ends. Tight ends can easily destroy that defense. The middle of the field is consistently left open, consistently get play in and play out. Grunk exposed that. He had a field day. Cameron Braid even had a couple of catches, easy, easy in the middle of the field. The pass rush was not there. We saw Quiddy Pay, Quiddy Pay get a sack in his third straight game. I'm happy that, for that. That was that was really a coverage sack. It, it was really a coverage sack. Tom Brady stepped up and most likely defensive ends are going to get a sack in that situation. So I didn't read too much into it. Credit to him for actually securing the sack. We see too many times the sack doesn't get secured. So at least he's securing it. Yeah. The Forrest Buckner uh, had a sack as well, I believe. And he batted a ball line on a crucial third down at the line of, at the line of scrimmage, uh, preventing them from scoring a touchdown. But this defense was just too much of what we've seen in the past, man. Uh, just getting shredded. Uh, high percentage throws being allowed. Like Tom Brady wasn't going through his progressions really. It wasn't needed. You know, his first, wherever his eyes went at first was pretty much where he went with the football. And it was just too easy, man. On that last drive, on the last drive for them to win the game, don't you know they didn't have a third down that drive? They only had three second downs. It was a second and seven, a second and four, and a second. Game losing drive. The game losing drive. Yep. Not one third down situation. Nope. We even got them. We even got them behind the stick when they um behind the chains when they jumped off sides and it was first and fifteen. I say I okay, we got a shot. Draw play. Leonard Fournette. It was what got eight, all of that back. It was what eight plays, five first downs. Yeah. The they eight. didn't have <laughs> one third down that drive. You get them into a first and fifteen situation. Leonard Fournette hits you with a ten yard, eleven yard draw. Now he had a second and five. Like what are you doing? As a defense. Yeah. That cannot happen. That absolutely cannot happen. But we've seen it happen far too often for us to just ignore it. At some point in time, it's no longer a coincidence. It's a pattern. 
Yep. And we see the pattern developing. And it always happens when we're trying to put teams away. We struggle to do that. If we don't get a turnover, I told Zach, uh, our good buddy Zach Hicks, um, he said, I have, he tweeted right before the last drive. He said, I have no idea how the coach do it, but the coach needs to stop. I said, well, it's either turnover or nothing. We're either going to force a turnover or, or, or luck up into a turnover or we're not going to stop them. Tom Brady's going to take them down the field and they're going to score, whether it's a field goal or a touchdown, whatever is needed to beat us, because I have no confidence in this defense. Whenever we need to get a stop, it just hasn't been there this season. And he, and here's my thing, and, and you said it again. <laughs> the tight ends absolutely killed us. They killed us. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin combined for seven receptions and 40 yards receiving. Rocket Sin and Isaiah Rogers were doing their damn job. They were doing their damn job. But Rob Gronkowski, Cameron Brait, what? And even on the last, man, dude, I can't even get mad about this anymore. The last drive. Why are dudes so far back? Tom Brady was five for five on that drive. Five for five. No resistance, no nothing, just back. And you know what's crazy about it? You know what's crazy? We know Tom Brady too well, and we know this defense too well. Right before they took that field, I sat on my couch and I said, the the Buccaneers are scoring this drive. They're scoring. They're going to win this game because Matt Eberflew isn't going to do anything different. He's going to back his guys up, and in typical Tom Brady fashion, he's going to dink and dunk his way down the field you let him do that you let him do that why are we playing in space why are we leaving pockets open where is the man-to-man where is the press coverage where is any of that i don't even now i can't even get mad at Matt Eberflus anymore because I already know he's trash. I already know. I mean, <laughs> like I, I give him credit. He is consistently trash. At least he's consistent about it. Right. But but now my eyes point to Chris Ballard. Where's the where's the accountability? If you don't want to make a change right now, Jesus Lord help us. But after the season, man, I need answers. I need some answers. I don't want to hear nothing about Kari Willis, Julian Black. I don't want to hear none of that. I don't want to hear none of that. You have consistently been beaten every single year, every single week, every single big game. I tweeted it out yesterday. I'm saying it again. Since 2018, when Matt Eberflus took over as defensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts, in all games against top 10 offenses, you have given up an average of 405.3 yards, 33.7 points. But y'all want to blame the offense? I, I get it. The muff pump by Naheem Hines that put him in a bad spot. We're gonna that get did, to that. That, that. That that did put him in that. a bad spot. We'll get, get to that. That, that it, it's hard in the NFL to stop, especially when you're at the 13 yard line. It's hard. I don't put that one. I don't. I mean, your job is to stop them, and you can't. <laughs> That's the thing. You can't. You can't rely on this defense. Remember what I said last year, guys. If y'all were following me and Destin last year, following us this year. If your problems week one are your problems late or at the end of the season, you're not going anywhere. Week one, left tackle. Pass rush, 
second half defense, defense in general. What was the problem yesterday? Pass rush, second half defense, left tackle. Now let's get into the ugly. Real quick, I do want to note that that officiating was absolutely crap yesterday. It was it, it was bad. They weren't consistent. That touchdown by Cameron Bray, well, really, it was pass interference on TJ Carey, but Cameron Bray initiated all of the contact. Absolutely. He ran right into him. He even pushed him off. Like, man, dude. Oh, and shout out to uh, Isaiah Rogers for that pick, man. That was yeah, awesome. I, shout awesome, out to awesome ball tracking skills, man. He tracked yes. that thing down, man. Really good, shout really good, him. really good. Uh, I'm not even gonna. I, I don't like to spend too much time on officiating. I really don't. But getting into, dare I say, the ugly. You already know there's gonna be some ugly about this team. Let's go to Naheem Hines. All right, he's flirted with a muff pun a couple times. He he's flirted with it a few. I believe he had one against Miami, right? He had yeah, one against Miami. Miami. Yep, it was Miami. He's flirted it, flirted with it a couple times. But in that situation, you're going to fair catch it at what? The 13-yard line, I think. That's where mm-hmm. the Buccaneers took over. What, why are you falling to your knees? L- look, Bubba Ventrone is too good of a coach for me to think that he's actually coaching you to fall on your damn knees to fair catch a pass bro back the hell up and let the ball sail i don't don't worry about oh man i don't want it to get stopped at the one you're having your way on offense go with it get the hell out of the way who is falling to their knees bro who man i I don't really have too much to say about that anyway dude i mean but that was just stupid. That was ugly. It, yeah, like that. It, absolutely unacceptable, man. It, it was one of those drives to where, you know, the defense had to get a stop. And they finally forced a three and out in the second half. I think they're only three, three and out of the second half. And you get the punt. And for Naheem, that took all of the air out of Lucas Oil. You can see it. It was like that gut punch, that punch right to the stomach. And thank God DeForest Buckner was able to hold them. You know, he deflected the ball that was probably going to be a touchdown uh, and got them off the field. So they only got three points out of it. So uh, shout out to DeFoe for that. But Naheem Hines, man, Cardinal rule. If you can't get up, if you can't get completely up under it, let it go. Get the hell out of the way. Let it bounce. Hopefully it bounces into the end zone. You get the ball at the 25. Like that is unacceptable. You cannot drop down to the ground to try to fill a punt. I, it just made no sense. It just made absolutely no sense. Yeah. So I, I really need. I'm, I'm gonna get off Naheem Hines. Yeah. Not much to say, man, man dude. Uh, ugly, dude. Okay. As a, as a guy that okay. sits. On his couch, not in the NFL, never played college football, probably not even, probably not even qualified to even question somebody that's that's in the pros about their job. But dude, wait, wait, Mike, before you do this, before you do this, let me tell y'all how Mike, how Mike obsesses with this. Last week when we beat the Bills, Mike was watching a game back that night. He's sitting on Twitter saying. 
Eric Fisher was getting his ass whooped all game. I'm like, I had to tweet Mike and tell Mike, Mike, not today. We're celebrating a big win. We'll get into critiques on Monday. Just let us have this one. And then this happened. Okay, Mike, you have the floor. Do I have the floor now? Yes, you have the floor. Okay. All righty. You got to love recording and also making TCU tweets at the same time, man. Gotta love being involved in NFL and college football. Uh, yeah, shout out Lincoln <laughs> Riley, man, going to SC. Oh man, um, Eric Fisher sucks ass at football. Like, I am that confident in my own ability to beat this man off the edge. Like, if we went to Indianapolis and he even got in my face and called me out, bro, I would beat him out on the field, on the practice. I would already be be there already. That's how confident I am. I will spend – I will camp out on the practice field and wait for that matchup because I know I'm going for an all-pro day. I, (laughs) Dude, this dude sucks ass, man. This dude sucks. I cannot consistently give him an excuse of an Achilles injury. I can't. I I can't. It's not even an Achilles injury. The dude just straight up sucks. He sucks. This dude is a a two-pack of ass. That is what he is. This dude got obliterated by a second-round rookie in Buffalo, in Boogie Basham. You saw it. All year, he has consistently been bad. Wasn't it him that gave up the sack in Baltimore that changed the game? We were, like, what, inside the 10? Dude, come on. We are driving. We are in business. Even when we were, even when Carson Wentz was going off, Lucas Oil was getting rowdy. My eye was still on Eric Fisher. And guess what? Shaq Barrett was beating him every single play. But Doyle, Doolin, Pittman, they were open. So Carson was able to get the ball out. Eric Fisher consistently got beat every single play. I don't want to hear nothing about run blocking. I don't give two shits about run blocking. We got four other guys that are really good at that. This is the left tackle position, the blind side to the quarterback, the blind side to the whole football team. And, uh, man, this dude sucks. He sucks. Like, he is bad. And Matt Pryor must suck double if he's not getting a look at left tackle. And I I do want to say this, though. When Matt Pryor came in in the jumbo package in the fourth quarter, bro, he bullied a grown man in Jason Pierre-Paul. Jason Pierre-Paul is a grown-ass man. Don't nobody move him. Matt Pryor moved him off the right side. He literally gripped that mother effer by the jersey and pushed pushed him back. Again, I want to see accountability. And I'm, I'm really looking at 
Chris Ballard. Now, I'm not expecting a, for him to go to Frank Reich and say, hey, I want to change because that Chris Ballard doesn't do that in season. He evaluates the season, sits with Frank Reich and talks about it after the season. He's not going to do that. He's going Chris Ballard knows his role. He's going to sit in the box, uh, scout, evaluate, watch the game. That's what he's going to do. But after this offseason, I need answers, man. I need answers. I need them. Defensively, left tackle. I need answers, man, because you did sign this guy. Now, although he has been at a Pro Bowl level, although he's been all of those things, pre-Achilles injury, he was also getting beat. Chris Ballard, this was your hire. Yes, everything lined up for you to sign him, the familiarity. He was he was drafted when you were on staff. I get it. But you got to take some heat for this signing, man. You have to. This, this can't keep going, man. Eric Fisher is a problem. He is the, the worst starter on this team in the last two years. He is the worst starter on this team in the last two years. In my opinion, he is the worst starter on this team. Easily. Might be. Um, what I'm going to say is, since Mike touched on uh, pretty much all of it, what I'm going to say about it is the timing of it just couldn't be any worse. You know, the Colts were they, – they scored at the end of the first half. They were up 10. They got the ball back in the beginning of the second half and was literally in the red zone about to take this thing to a three-score three game in the second half. Um, they were getting ready to go up 17. And I said to myself, if this team can go up 17 halfway, at the beginning, halfway point through this third quarter, it might be over. We may can put them away. That strip sack came, and that's the play I circled. Shaq Barrett stripped, not only beat Eric Fisher, sacked Carson Wentz, stripped Carson Wentz, and recovered it himself. And next thing you know, five plays, Tampa Bay is going down to score. It could have went from a 17-point game. Instead, we were staring at a three-point game, and I knew that with our defensive history in second halves, we was in trouble. That was the play I circled yesterday. That was, to me, the play that changed the game. And one thing I can say about tackles, and I'm not saying this was the case with Eric Fisher, but you can be right for most of the game. You give up a sack like that, you fail. You had a poor performance. It just can't happen. You can't get beat that easily. He just whiffed, man. He's just, and I understand Shaq Barrett is an elite edge rusher, but Eric Fisher, you you were bought in to start you was a pro bowler last season. That can't happen to you. I know you're coming off an Achilles injury. And I truly think in my heart of hearts, Eric Fisher will be a better player next year when he's a year away from that Achilles injury. But going into this offseason, you can't bank on that. You just can't take a risk and bank on it because you never know. If you get the same Eric Fisher that we have gotten this year, then it's a complete failure. So uh, I'm sure Ballard would do his due diligence and evaluate the position and make the best decision for the team moving forward like he has done in the past. But, man, it 
was that was the play. That was the play that changed the game yesterday. And it just sucks, man. It, it sucks because we was that close. And I got to look at the All-22, which I will tomorrow. It looked like Carson was throwing it. It looked like he saw something, and that could have been a possible touchdown. I think I'm going to puke myself. If I, if I look at the All-22 and it's somebody wide open in the end zone, I'm going to be sick probably when I see it. Yeah, but I'm going to check it out. I haven't had a chance to fully look at the game yet. Usually I do that on a on a Monday. Um but I just did get the chance. I was a little bit busy at work, but dude, man. I mean, sitting the Colts are sitting at 6 and 6, 5 games to go. Uh you have the Patriots who are on a hot streak right now. If you would have took care of your business, dude, you are right back in the division discussion. Mm, you just you just you just can't i mean this team you just you just can't trust this team man you you can't it's not because of frank reich it's not because of carson wentz it's because in the two biggest areas you need to be good you just need to be good the colts aren't even good at left tackle or defense they're not even good in those areas they're not yes the presence of Julian Blackman, Kari Willis is missed to a degree. But bro, what what is this play calling? What is this? What why are we giving up so much yardage, giving up so much space on a last two minute drill on defense in a tie ball game? Man, I am get to the question. Can can the Colts make the playoffs, man? Um, uh, I think they can, man. I think they can. Uh, they, out of these two games, I was saying they had to get one of these two before these two games happen. They got one, and they got the most important one, another AFC yeah. victory. And we if discussed that. It, yeah, if we look at it, the Colts have six losses total. But three of those losses are to NFC teams, which is if you have to lose, that's who you want to lose to. You know, I think the Colts can go four and one down the stretch and they'll get in. Um, but five and oh would be preferable, preferably. But if we go four and one, um, we got to beat the Patriots, got to beat the Raiders, uh, the Texans and the Jags. Get those four. Uh, the Arizona game, if you had to drop one, that would be the game to drop just because that'd be another NFC team. But. You don't want to drop any of these if you if you can control it. Uh, I think the toughest game out of those five right now would probably be. I know a lot of people's gonna say the Patriots game, but I still think it's Arizona. Kyler Murray just posed a different type of threat for this defense. And yeah, we we know what this defense goes through with mobile quarterbacks, let alone a mobile quarterback that can actually throw that thing. And and Kyler Murray is a flower stud, so mm-hmm. I think that is the most difficult game just based off matchups. But we got to get the other four. We got to get. We got to go at least four and one down the stretch, and, and ho- hope we have some favorable situations. You know, hopefully the division Ooh. leaders keep winning and keep beating these wild card teams. Yeah, I know Mike don't like it. Mike hates to depend on other teams to be able to do our thing. I hate. But it. Hey, I hate. Look it. at it this way: if we go five and zero oh down the stretch, we control our own fate, and that should be the mentality the Colts have. I know they got this one and no mantra every week, but they have to look at the big picture and see. And say, if we go 5-0, and we won't need nobody to do nothing. We can let everything fall where it may fall. We'll be 11-6, and six and we'll get in no matter what. See, and, and that's where I question 
what is this team's goal to make the playoffs? Because I've I've asked a couple people that I know that have been in college, you know, that have a couple uh, guys that I know are in the NFL uh, that are from my hometown. Dolphins tight end Durham Smythe and uh, Zach Shackerford on the Buccaneers practice squad. What what is your mindset when you're in this season at this point in the season are you thinking championship are you really just thinking everything on your mind is getting to the playoffs and when you get to the playoffs it's like damn we've been harping playoffs this whole time what damn what do we do now it's like it's a mentality thing what are we trying to do like i'm not you know I, i think i'm getting better at not letting the emotions after a big loss affect me because there is just too much talent on this on this team but the fallacies on this team are in the most important spots pass rush left tackle you're about to go against arizona you're about to go against new england (laughs) can you even go four and one can you go three and two in this five game stretch i don't know if you can matthew judon is going to feast against eric fisher chandler jones man all these guys are going to target eric fisher man they're going to and the colts got to gear up if you had to have an absolute blunder of a game yesterday was the game to do it get together you have four afc games left get those afc games and for god's sakes get the uh tiebreakers in conference record Get the tiebreakers. That's what you got to do. I think now you really got to just hope for Baltimore, Kansas City to win out. Uh, who's who's uh, New England to possibly win out? Because you want Buffalo to be in the wild card so you can get over them because you have the head-to-head. So The good thing about it is no matter what goes on in the Buffalo-New England, if you beat New England, you'll have the tiebreak over whichever one of those guys that fall yeah. to the wild card spot. Yeah. So, so that's, so that's the good thing about the NFC. I mean, the AFC East is that no matter what, if you handle your business, which you did with Buffalo already, now you have to beat new England. If you beat new England, the bills in new England still have to play each other twice this season. Yes. So that's going to go into our favor. That's going to go. Into they our haven't favor. even faced each other yet. That's Not what's crazy. That's yeah, what's crazy. Still got so. two matchups left. Yeah, and what I like about it is that we're getting a game against Houston who you still got to take serious, take care of your business, and then you get, get a right bye in. week. You get, get get a bye week. Quentin Nelson can get more healthy. DeForest Buckner can get more healthy. Darius Leonard can get more healthy. Get your guys together. And, I mean, do you, at this point in the season, in week 14, do you even go on vacation or do you just stay and just get right? I think no. at that point you stay and get right. You, you stay and get right, If it's early right, in the season, if you, it's you, early, know, you, yeah. you go, but – it, it's still nothing but business. You still got to watch tape on New England, on uh, Las Vegas, about to say Oakland, Las Vegas. You got to watch these games. You have to. So, guys, I think that's all the time we're going to have for this episode. I, I'm not even sure how long this went. It was a good <laughs> episode. It was a very, very disappointing loss once again. Um, but can this team get it together? Can they watch this film from this game? pull it all together evidence history says they won't this type of team won't not the Colts specifically but this type of team won't but hey some things are meant to be broken right history is meant to be made 
So let's just hope, you know, the playoffs, you're, you're, you're playing to win the game. Yes, I've harped about first-round pick and everything, my love for Ahmad Gardner. But damn it, man, I want a Super Bowl. That's what I want. So, man, screw Ahmad Gardner, screw because we're not getting him now. Um, <laughs> let's just go get his counterpart, Kobe Bryant, at uh, the University of Cincinnati. Let's go get him or Jermaine Waller. So, guys, this has been the Blue Stable Podcast. Once again, this uh, the official Colts podcast of fan-sided Rashad. Congratulations on getting Lincoln Riley to USC. All right. Hey, fight over. We'll be back. Uh, Hey, man, y'all did gift us Brian uh, Carrington to TCU. Hey, hey, great recruiter. Yeah, great recruiter. Amazing Uh, recruiter. LSU just landed Brian Kelly doing our show too, huh? I know, man. I know. I know. Uh, Marcus Freeman is a guy who I think should take over that job. If not, come on over to TCU and take over that defensive coordinator job. It's, It's waiting for you. They got a good office with the field view too man it's a beautiful beautiful program beautiful facilities at tcu in fort worth but anyways guys uh thank you again for tuning in for this show guys once again here's rashad mcginnis i am michael terraza make sure to comment like subscribe on youtube rate review on apple Podcasts. truly appreciate it guys we love you hope you guys love us it's all nothing but fun and games and football debate all the time guys we love y'all have a good weekend we will be back at you once again this week with a houston texans preview take care